Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you, God, that you are rich in mercy as we were reminded this morning. God, as we count our earnings, as we count up nickel and dime, as we count up silver and gold, Lord, you tell us from your word that your riches are immeasurable. The immeasurable riches of your grace and kindness toward us in Christ. We thank you for the riches, the true riches that we have in Christ that paves the way for how we handle our money physically today as we learn about that, Lord, from your word. Um, pray that you open our eyes, soften our hearts to your word, uh, that we would see Christ in these pages and that it would manifest our true riches in light of our true riches, that it would manifest in how we handle our physical riches here on earth. So Lord, uh, may you be glorified in this time as uh, we learn from your word together, gathered in this place in your name. Amen. You can have a seat. If you were here last week or the past couple weeks, you'll remember that we started going back to the book of Proverbs once again, and we're specifically going through chapters 10 to 30, and we're looking at what these Proverbs, the Proverbs of Solomon, if you look at chapter 10, verse 1, we're looking at what these Proverbs say about specific topics as a whole, and we can't really preach it normally as we do, right, verse by verse. So uh, there are lots of topics. Tim did the hard work of grouping these different topics into their different categories. It took me a while uh, to land on one topic, even though I had a blank check and good topics were a dime a dozen. You know, eventually I had to chip in and give my two cents on money at all costs. Um, I also realized that I didn't get to crack any dad jokes last week, so there you go. But I hope this, uh, these proverbs on money, as we look at them together, can be a practical reminder for us today. And I really mean that. I don't mean practical as in watered-down theology, no, not at all, uh, but practical in a way that reminds us, right? It, it reminds us afresh. I hope it's just a reminder for us on how to handle our money from a biblical standpoint whether you're working or whether you're retired, uh, whether you're a broke college student, (laughs) or I can relate to that, or as we recognize today, about to be broke college students in our grads. Um, I I hope this can be a practical reminder for us today on the topic of money. But before we look at what the Proverbs say about money as a whole, let's recap last week and as we remembered how the Proverbs work. We talked about how they're principles, not promises. That that, that means that each proverb is generally true most of the time, but not all the time. Let me give you an example. We're going to be turning lots here, so have your Bibles in handy or your e-Bibles. Chapter 10, verse 15. Chapter 10, verse 15. A rich man's wealth is his strong city. The poverty of the poor is their ruin. So here we see that a rich man has walls, right? He has gates that protect him. 
right? It's all around him. He's secure. While the poor man doesn't. It's the exact opposite. He doesn't have walls or gates. He doesn't have protection. He does not have security. Yet if you turn three chapters forward, chapter 13, verse 8, it gives us a different angle. And the proverb says, the ransom of a man's life is his wealth, but a poor man hears no threat. In other words, the rich man and his wealth, if you compare it to chapter 10, it's his ruin because he's prone to being threatened or robbed because of his great riches. Therefore, he's not all that secure. Yet here the poor man hears no threat because he has, quite frankly, nothing to lose. Thus, he's secure, right? So do you see the balance that different proverbs and different topics give us, right? But the question is, if the rich or poor aren't really secure, how are they truly secure? Well, if you flip, uh, actually, I'll uh, test you all. Proverbs 18.10. Maybe let's sing together, right? The name of, no, I'm kidding. Uh, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. And then the verse afterwards, it repeats uh, that verse in chapter 10. A rich man's wealth is his strong city. And then it says, like a high wall in his imagination. Really, his security is an imagination. The true security is found in the name of the Lord. A strong tower. The righteous man, not just rich or poor, righteous man runs into it. And he's safe. He is secure. So that's a little example of how we need to get the full picture of what the Proverbs say about a specific topic. Right? We need to see all of the different angles. And as Chris illustrated for us last week, they're like slides in a PowerPoint. In order to understand the whole PowerPoint, the whole presentation, we need to look at the different slides. So let's do that today. And it's impossible to hit every single verse on money in one sermon Uh, Unless you want to fast through lunch today, I would not recommend that. But uh, I hope you have read or will read the rest of those verses. Uh, Do we have the papers? Uh, I wasn't, okay. Uh, We we have the papers that have the rest of the verses on money there. So uh, whatever we don't get to cover, um, I hope you read those. But uh, what I want to do today is look at these different slides on money together, these different angles, uh, and get a, a big grasp as much as possible starting from chapter 10 all the way to chapter 28, as we read, and then eventually end at chapter 30. Well, let's start with some key overarching ideas or truths that bring all of these Proverbs together. Namely, if we miss these pillar Proverbs, these foundational truths, the rest of uh, the Proverbs on money is good, but they're not founded, right? They'll kind of be standing on sand, and it might be confusing for us, but... Here's the first big idea, this big truth that I want to introduce us here today. Uh, And and my heading here is that God is the money maker. Look at chapter 10, Proverbs chapter 10. I'll flip there too, verse 22. The blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. Right away, this Proverbs tells us that financial gain Right, that financial blessing is a divine favor from the Lord, and He gives it freely, right? Without sorrow, He gives it happily. It is the common grace and benevolence of God that makes us rich, generally speaking. 
And this is a theme we're going to see the rest of the way in Proverbs. Money is a good thing because it's from the Lord, and that's the means by which he makes us rich or prospers us. We see that word a lot. And we don't have to be scared of that word uh, today because that's a biblical idea. The only problem with that language, prosper, right, is that especially in North America, we confuse this word, the, the biblical prosperity with the American dream. But rather, how it's described here is that the blessing of the Lord prospers, makes rich. Money isn't a bad thing in and of itself because it is from the Lord. Yet again, that's just one angle, just one slide. Let's look at chapter 22, verse 2. The blessing of the Lord makes rich because he is the maker of riches. The rich and poor meet together, yet the Lord is the maker of them all. You don't have to flip there, but I'll quote chapter 29, verse 13. The poor man and the oppressor, likely the rich man, meet together, yet the Lord gives light to the eyes of both. Here what it says is that God is the maker of the rich and poor. Both of them. Mankind, you could say. God is the maker of them all, regardless whether uh, they are rich or poor. Therefore, the money that they possess, whether it be a lot or very little, is from God. Right? Money is from God, and it is God's, right? because he's the maker of us all. His blessing makes rich. He's the maker of us all. And Psalm 24 actually uh, gives us this idea that the, the earth is the Lord's, right? and the fullness thereof. Money is from God because it is God's in the first place. Now, this idea from chapter 10, verse 22, the blessing of the Lord makes rich. I want to ask, how does this work with chapter 10, verse 4? Let's flip there. The blessing of the Lord makes rich. Yet, verse 4 says, a slack hand, chapter 10, a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. The question here is, does, does the blessing of the Lord make rich? Or does the hand of the diligent make rich? And the answer to that is yes. The book of Proverbs recognizes the sovereignty of God as the money maker, yet does not absolve human responsibility in managing God's money. And that's the term uh, I used here. Here's our second point. We, from this verse here, chapter 10, verse 4, we find that we are his money managers. Right? God is the money maker. See that? It, we are his money managers. And if we are God's money managers, and we manage our maker's money, then we do so according to his will and his ways. Right? Because it's from him, it is his, and we're merely managing it. We manage it according to his will and his ways. And before we look at the specifics um, on that throughout the book of Proverbs, I really want us to take a second here just to think carefully about these foundational truths, these pillar proverbs on money, that the blessing of the Lord makes rich and the hand of the diligent makes rich. The order matters. 
God is the money maker. We are his money managers. How does that jive with us today? The numbers in our bank accounts are all God's and that we're merely managing it for him. One day Jesus will come back and we will have to give an account for how we spent our master's money. We see that all over the New Testament as well. Parables and pictures of this. Is this a conviction at all? Or a motivation for us today in our financial decision making? Even talking like that, it sounds weird, right? Like, I'm managing God's money, yet I made this money with my diligent hand. Now, what I'm not getting at this morning is that we need to feel bad about, you know, going to a nice hotel or a nice restaurant on your vacation. You know, a lot of us are on vacation this summer. Uh, because people who don't even acknowledge God or affirm God get to enjoy God's common grace, like the sunshine and the rain that we have experienced this past week, right? We, we see that in Matthew chapter 5, verse 45. People who don't uh, acknowledge God also get riches and prosperity uh, in Psalm 37. That's why the psalmist says, fret not when they prosper, when evil men prosper, Right? They don't deserve it. So how much more should we, as God's people, as God's children, enjoy his good gifts as father? Right? We get that idea from Matthew 7. How much more should we get to enjoy God's good gifts here? So the tension that we need to be constantly wrestling with in tension together uh, in relation to managing physical money is this. How much of God's money... Are we spending for our purposes and enjoyment? Okay, like I said, not inherently bad. But how much of that are we spending for our purposes and enjoyment compared to how much of God's money are we spending for His purposes and enjoyment? And I hope some of you are thinking, well, do those necessarily have to be split together? Well, no, they don't. They, they don't necessarily have to be divorced from each other, meaning it is possible for us to manage God's money for our purposes and enjoyment in a way that aligns with God's purposes and enjoyment, right? How we manage our maker's money aligns with his will and his ways, as we saw in chapter 10, verse 22, and chapter 10, verse 4. This is the connection we're going to see the rest of the way in Proverbs. Making riches is good because that's generally a part of managing God's money. It's from him. It is his. But there are better things than riches. Right? We'll focus on chapter 28 and see what it, so you can flip there um, and what it says about making riches. But we'll also flip back through the rest of Proverbs as well. And we're going to see what is described as good, making riches, but what's better than making riches. Literally from the passages it says, better is this. Right? We're going to see that. And this will hopefully help us see these delicate tensions and find the better balance. Right? That's what I titled this next section, the better balance. Verse 18 of chapter 28. Whoever walks in integrity will be delivered, but he who is crooked in his ways will suddenly fall. As we read earlier, we see this in parallel with verse 6 of chapter 28. Better is a poor man 
who walks in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. Now, obviously, this doesn't tell us to quit our jobs and have faith that God will provide for us as long as we have integrity, right? Yet, what it's saying is that if integrity costs us less riches in any situation, we choose integrity. Because better is a poor man who walks in integrity than someone who makes riches, right? Not necessarily a bad thing, but someone who makes riches and is crooked in doing so. Right? I was thinking about this, uh, thinking about banks and money. If I'm nearing bankruptcy, I should resist the urge to give Tim a fake check at Scotiabank, you know, <laughs> right? Riches are still better than poverty. We're going to see that through our Proverbs. Yet integrity is much better than riches. That's the better balance. We'll see that in verse 19. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. Here it is again. It's good to work. It's good to make riches. Work hard. Make money. In chapter 20, verse 13, love not sleep, it says, lest you come to poverty. Rather, open your eyes and you will have plenty of bread. Yet we find the counterbalance in chapter 23, and this one I hope you look at. It says, do not toil to acquire wealth, but be discerning enough to desist. Why? Because when your, light, when your eyes light on it, it is gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle towards heaven. You see the balance there, right? The exhortation here is to work hard, make lots of money in order to avoid being poor. Hey, there's the emphasis. Rather than work hard in order to make lots of money and have a fat savings account. That's a major distinction. And why is that? Because the moment we work hard for the sake of making lots of money, even though we're in no danger of being in poverty, that's when we're tempted to trust in the manager rather than the maker. Money comes, chapter 23, verse 5 says, yet in the blink of an eye, it's gone. So it says, be discerning enough to desist, that is, just trying to be rich. That's your main goal. Yet we do so in all diligence. Here's a better balance. Chapter 15, verse 16. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is a little treasure with the fear of the Lord rather than great treasure and without it. And without the fear of the Lord comes trouble. We'll see that in verse 20. A faithful man will abound with blessings. Same idea. But whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. Chapter 21, verse 5 says this. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. 
chapter 13, verse 11. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. The faithful man in all integrity and diligence, as we saw in the past two verses, the faithful man will abound in blessings. Right? Their plans, the plans of the diligent will surely abound. Yet those plans aren't leaps and bounces. Right? It's not hasty. Rather, he patiently gathers little by little. And that's how you're enriched. And hasty, get-rich-quick schemes are always described as trouble in the book of Proverbs. And, and this has implications for us today, right? We, we can't help but uh, apply some of these things as we observe and interpret. But this is why I've always struggled with, why is gambling wrong? You know, I grew up thinking that, like, why is gambling wrong? I never had an answer. Why isn't, uh, you know, going to a game show and winning lots of money instead of working hard wrong? Like, I'd love to do that, right? Um, game shows. <laughs> but... Not only is says it leads to destruction, these hasty means of riches, right? But also the destruction of others, since usually, most of the time, not all the time, but usually achieved by unjust means. Look at verse 21. To show partiality is not good, but for a piece of bread, a man will do wrong. Here we see, Throughout Proverbs, right, we, we've seen this. Uh, the, the rich man's wealth is his strong city. Right? It's a good thing. And while being rich is generally favorable over than being poor, this verse here, this proverb here, warns against bribes, we'll see, that favor the rich over the poor in the courtroom. Verse, uh, chapter 15, verse 27 Whoever is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own household, but he who hates bribes will live. You don't have to turn there here, but uh, this stems from the Lord's command for Israel in Leviticus 19. It says this, verse 15 of Leviticus 19. Do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, the rich, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. Why? Because this is who God is. Deuteronomy 10. For the Lord your God is God of gods, Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. That helps us understand a little bit of what's going on here in the book of Proverbs when they talk about unjust means like showing partiality. God is impartial. So, don't be partial uh, to the poor or defer to the great. Because I am a God who is not partial. Here's a better balance. Proverbs 16, verse 8. Better is a little, right? We've heard that already. That theme, better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. Verse 22 and verse 23, a stingy man, we're back in Proverbs 28 here, 
A stingy man hastens after wealth. Again, we see that idea. And he does not know that poverty will come upon him. Whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. Verse 22, we've kind of seen this idea already, this hastening and coming to poverty. You might think that verse 23, does that have anything to do with money? Well, it doesn't talk explicitly about money, yet it does connect to verse 22. If you look at the verse, the stingy man who skips the hard work, right, who hastens rather than gathers little by little, the stingy man who skips the hard work doesn't know that poverty will come upon him later on. And then the man in verse 23 who rebukes will afterward find more favor instead of the flatterer who took the easy route. Much like the stingy man. Right? So it's this value afterwards. The word afterwards is what gives us that clue that they're connected to principles, not necessarily about money in verse 23, yet it connects. Stingy man who skips the hard work, doesn't know the poverty will come. Yet, a man who doesn't skip the hard work, in this context, rebuking, you know, better is uh, um, love, right, through rebuke. There's a proverb on that. Uh, I don't want to butcher it. But whoever rebukes a man and does the hard work of rebuking in love will afterward find more favor than someone who says, oh, we're all good. much like the stingy man, right? Chapter 19, verse 22, this is the better balance. Once again, what is desired in a man is steadfast love, and a poor man is better than a liar, right? Usually those who lie lead to unjust means of gain, of financial gain, right? But steadfast love, it's more desirable, and a poor man is much more better than a liar who gains riches, Chapter 28, verse 24 to 26, we'll put this all together. Whoever robs his father or his mother and says, that's no transgression, is a companion to a man who destroys. A greedy man stirs up strife, but the one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. And I wanted to find different ways to connect this and explain this, but actually chapter 10, I uh, found to be really helpful here, uh, really explains this. Chapter 10, verses 3 and 4 bring light to these verses. The Lord, sorry, chapter 10, verse 2, treasures gained by wickedness do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. Then it says, the Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, but he thwarts the craving of the wicked. So the wicked, like those who rob in chapter 28, that is their father and mother, and say, that's no sin, that's no transgression. The wicked might gain treasure, chapter 10 says, but it will not profit. Why? Because it leads to death eventually. It might gain something now, but later on, it leads to death. It is a companion to the one who destroys. That word destroys gives us a hint, right? Chapter 17, verse 1 says, Better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. 
Here's the balance. The one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched, as chapter 28, verse 26 says. Since, chapter 10 says, the Lord does not let the righteous go hungry. Okay, I want to be going slow here as we capture these ideas together. The one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched because God, the Lord, does not let the righteous go hungry as he thwarts the craving of the wicked. Like the robber and the greedy man that stirs up strife. In verse 25. Yet as the Lord fills the righteous and satisfies their craving, unlike the greedy man or the robber, even though it's little amounts of food, dry little amounts of food, right? Better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of strife. They're still called, in verse 27, to be generous. Here's the last verse that we'll see in this chapter. Whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. Whoever is generous to those in need will be satisfied. Again, the Lord uh, does not let the righteous go hungry. They're satisfied. The wicked aren't. Yet those who are generous to those in need will even be more satisfied. They'll be satisfied no matter what. Yet the opposite is for those who withhold generosity. He who hides his eyes will get many a curse. This is uh, unpacked in chapter 11, verses 24 to 26. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give, yet only suffers want and satisfaction. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be watered. But the people who curse him, but the people curse him who holds back grain. Yet a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. All right, let's pack these things together. The Lord's blessing makes rich. Right, we looked at that earlier. But in order to share that blessing, the blessing of those riches with others. Who are in need. And the context here suggests that of a famine. And in chapter 11, uh, those who hold back grain, right? A time of drought or a time of need, essentially. People who hold back generosity for people in need in a time of need, they say, these people will be cursed. Rather, the ones who are generous and give to the poor and, and sell in a time of need to people in need, they'll be satisfied they'll be blessed the better balance chapter 16 verse 19 it is better to be of a lowly spirit with the poor those in need than to divide the spoil with the proud to all of these and I hope we're tracking together all of these principles together help us understand the big truths that we looked at earlier. Blessing of the Lord makes rich, right? God is a money maker, yet we are his money managers. And so Proverbs 28 and, and kind of all the little verses that we pulled through the rest of the Proverbs, they give us this, uh, the way to manage God's money well, right? But my question is, is this it? 
a lot of this is reminders for us. Uh, I'm quite confident of that. And if some of it's new, praise the Lord. Um, yet, is this it? Is this just basic ways of wisdom in managing God's money or handling God's money? And the answer is yes. We need to take these principles of wisdom in light of how we manage God's money because we know that this wisdom is fulfilled in Jesus Christ, right? As the wisdom of God, 1 Corinthians one twenty four. So it is good to apply these principles as we make riches, right? We make riches with integrity. We'll be diligent, yet be honest, right? Not hastening, gathering little by little, not stingy, not doing unjust means of gain, uh, yet trusting in the Lord and being generous. All, all of these things packed together. This is uh, the principle, or are the principles, of making rich, making money, because God uh, prospers us, uh, it makes us rich, as the diligent hand makes rich. Yet, I want to emphasize these better passages author here is saying that while making riches is good, there's better things, even when you're not making riches. Okay? As we make riches, we still apply those principles, but when you can't get them, there's still better things. So if you have to sacrifice one from the other, sacrifice the, the making riches part, not the better part. Even if you have little, Yet you have these better things than riches. Choose this. Okay, you'd rather have this than have lots of riches. And keep in mind who the audience of this book is. Proverbs was written to a people who were promised good things under the old covenant that if they obeyed God's laws, they would have long lives. In chapter 3, uh, you'd read all about that. Verses 1 and 2, you'll have long life. Your days will be long. Right? So that's some of the promises. If you obey God, you will overflow in riches. Right? Honor the Lord with your wealth, Proverbs 3, verse 9 and 10. And your vats will be bursting with wine. Right? Your barns will be filled. So if those promises are there and it's good, if you obey God, you will get this. What's better than that? Like Solomon touches on all of this. Well, this is where we go from the Old Testament, not just stop there, right? We look to the New Testament, Hebrews 8. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old. As the covenant he mediates, that is the new covenant he mediates, is better since it is enacted on better promises. And that comes out a little bit in our passage that we read this morning. Actually, it comes out a lot in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 to 7. Listen to this. But God, being rich in mercy, not just monetary riches, not just physical riches, rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive. Okay, so he brought us uh, uh, out of... Um, death into life. So it's, it's not just long life or promise in this new covenant, but eternal life. How? Well, he made us alive together with Christ. 
That's why we have uh, the hope of the resurrection that Christ was raised and one day we too will be raised with him. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that later on in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. More than filled barns and bursting vats, as Proverbs 3 promises, the riches of God's grace that he offers us in Christ through this new covenant are immeasurable. Instead of us obeying God's laws to be enriched, right, that's kind of the theme in Proverbs, Jesus, will see, obeyed and fulfilled God's law to make us rich. How? 2 Corinthians 8, 9. If you want to flip there, that would be a great passage to flip to. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. It took the riches of God's grace. I'm connecting Ephesians 2 here and 2 Corinthians 8. It took the riches of God's grace. That was the cost. Yet Christ was generous to us by becoming poor and making us rich in order that we might be generous to others. We see this in Proverbs. We see this in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 9, one chapter ahead, verse 10 to 13. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. That's what I titled this heading here. You are enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of the service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of the service, they will glorify God because of one, your submission, that comes from the confession of the gospel of Christ, and two, the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others who are in need. Right? We see here that we're enriched with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, well, this is an application for physical riches, which we'll get to in a little bit here. This goes beyond that. I hope we're seeing this, that not, not only do we supply the needs of others, but also it leads others to thank and glorify God because of the gospel. Right? 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 does talk about physical needs and physical money that is given to support the needs of others, yet the emphasis here is that others thank God and glorify God because of the gospel, that Christ became poor so that we might become rich. This is why we evangelize. Right? We're sharing the blessing of the gospel, the riches of the gospel with others, the riches of God's grace in Christ by the Spirit because we have been blessed by it ourselves. Galatians 3 tells us this, right? That Abraham was to be a blessing to the nations, right? In you shall all the nations be blessed, 
And Galatians 3 tells us that that, that is the gospel. God preached the gospel to him beforehand so that others will be blessed with the gospel as well. We are enriched with the gospel in every way to be generous in every way. Yet because Christ has enriched us with the true and spiritual and eternal riches that we have, this then has major implications for the way that we handle our physical riches. That is how we manage God's riches, God's money that we manage on earth. So going back to the book of Proverbs, just wanted us to get a full picture here, Old Testament and New Testament. Proverbs 30 is where we'll end today. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 7 to 9. Consider this prayer. The prayer of Agur in verses 7 to 9. And he asks the Lord this. Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Rather, feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you, lest I be rich and deny you, and say, who is the Lord? Or, lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. So here, he's saying, I I don't want to be so steeped in falsehood and lying because I'm tempted either way, whether rich or poor, I'd be tempted to do either way. And how often do we pray this prayer? God, give me neither poverty nor riches. Please don't make me poor, or, but please don't make me rich. But rather feed me with the food that I need. Just give me enough, Lord. Just give me what I need. I hope uh, this verse comes to mind. Right? Lord, give us our daily bread. Give us just what we need for the day. Because more often than not, we ask God to give us our bread for our 80 years or so of our lifespan, right? Rather than asking God to help us get through the day, feed me is the prayer here. Feed me what is needful for me. Nothing more, nothing less. God takes care of our bank accounts. God will take care of us because we know Christ has made us rich, right? Because we know we have an inheritance in Christ. So let's store up treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. And the prayer here is, give me neither poverty nor riches. If you err on the side of being full, as he says in verse 9, lest I be full of riches and deny you. If, you. if you err on this side here today, if you have more, take heed lest you get to a point where you are prone to denying your Lord who blesses you and makes you rich because you'll be tempted to say, well, I made myself rich. My diligent hands make me rich. Take heed lest you get to that point. Remember that you're enriched in every way to be generous in every way. Store up treasures in heaven. Okay, so uh, 
one thing I was scared of when uh, I, I was paying my student loans, I'm like, okay, this is good, I'm paying what I owe, yet after we're done, we were dishing out 1500 bucks a month uh, on this, and I said, man, I'm scared of what I'm going to do with the $1,500 every month after we're done. But here, we're actually given that and said, look, we're enriched in every way to be generous in every way, to support the needs of others. How willing are we, myself included, because I struggle with this lots, but how often are we just ready to give out money? Because it's not our money, it's God's money, and we're doing it for his will and his ways. And if we have much, if we have lots, if we have more, how are we storing our treasures in heaven? By being generous to those in need, right? as Proverbs lays out for us. If you err on the side of being full, take heed lest you get to that point where you say, who is my Lord? If you err on the side of having less, he says, give me neither poverty nor riches, lest I be poor and steal. If you err on the side of having less, take heed as well, lest you fall into temptation towards hasty or unjust means of gain. As Proverbs warns us about, maybe not gambling or maybe not stealing a bank or your parents, but I hope none of us are stealing banks, but, um, but, but maybe you're harboring an attitude of discontentment or, or you're finding every excuse to manipulate every nickel and dime as we're tempted to because we, we don't have much. So we're saying, oh, okay, I heard a sermon uh, as I... Um, thought about these by Kevin DeYoung. He said, you don't want to be that person that counts up nickel and dime, right? Like, you know, you just want to be that person that says, hey, I'll give it to you. It's okay. You know what? You owe me $5 and change. You know what? Just have it. It's fine. Because I have true riches in Christ. You know, I apply that with my parents a lot because uh, I said, Josh, you need anything? Yeah, yeah. I just need about $10,000 from you. That's, that's. But if we err on the side of having less, also take heed that you don't get into this spot where you're tempted to gain unjustly or, or gain hastily. You maybe don't notice that you're falling into greed rather than generosity. Whether you're rich or poor, we're called to be generous. Everywhere. Whether you're rich or poor, you're called to be filled with integrity and honesty and diligence. Yet the balance is here, right? This is why we're looking at all angles and proverbs. The better balance is this. And let this be our prayer here as we walk out of these doors today. God, give me neither poverty nor riches. That's what I titled this sermon, actually. Neither poverty nor riches. But God, feed me with the food that is needful for me that is today. Give us this day our daily bread. Lord, help us to make it through today and trusting that you'll take care of tomorrow because if the Lord wills, as James 4 says, we will live today and do this or that. Don't boast and think that you're going to make a profit here tomorrow or next week. No, no. Help us, Lord, to make it through today, trusting that the Lord will take us to tomorrow neither poverty nor riches. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that reminds us of our riches in Christ, our true inheritance in Christ that is not 
to perish, not to be defiled. Uh, it's secure. Our inheritance is secure in Christ. The, the riches of your mercy and grace that abounds. It, it is immeasurable, the riches that we have in Christ. So Lord, may we find our true security in that as we live here on earth, as we store up treasures in heaven rather than on earth, as we manage your money that you have given to us, we recognize that, Lord, you make us rich. The blessing of the Lord makes rich. You are the maker of us all. Yet we also recognize that we need to be diligent in all honesty and integrity in faithfulness, in all wisdom, and in all generosity. God, give us neither poverty nor riches, but feed us with what is needful for us today. Give us this day our daily bread and help us to trust you for tomorrow. In your name we pray, amen.